Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the campaign check-in for the Victorian state election. Update, how are we today? I'm travelling very well, Apricot. I've been uh, catching up on the, the weeding and the vegetable garden this week. I've got a nice haul of, uh, of snow peas in and some salad leaves on, on Friday, and we were also visited by the Quackleys. They're a, a family of wood ducks that have, have come in with their new ducklings. So it was in the, in the yet-to-be-mown lawn. It was it was very cute to see these little fluff balls occasionally bobbing their head up and, and the, the drake and the duck looking around wildly to make sure that the little uh, the new little ducklings were, were safe and sound and, and tucked in and getting fed. So that was a big plus for me. What about you? How has your week been? Oh, it's been pretty good, you know, mainly work, mainly doing some volunteering stuff for the election. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, that's my life at the moment, work and election yes. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we might just jump into it, and I will just let everyone know that we are expecting a guest later on in the show. I'm very excited about that. Um, Adeen, Victorian election, who do we think's going to win? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> United Party, obviously. Uh, no, no, no. Look, my my money, uh, not my heart, but my money would have to go on a, a a Labor win, a Daniel Andrews win. I mean, there's some some details we'll be getting into with our our guest, but uh, my answer at the moment is is Labor. Look, I. I wouldn't rule out any sort of surprise nudges one way or the other which includes Labor doing better than expected uh, and also some of the independents, particularly the uh, the Greens doing better than expected. But I would have to have insanely good odds to put any money on the uh, the guy train. What, what's your opinion? Fairly similar. I think it's quite apparent that the Victorian Liberals are struggling um, to be charitable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, uh, there was some really interesting research, some polling done recently, which showed that although voters may trust the Liberal Party more on specific issues, such as like the economy, um, it's actually being overshadowed by something more important to voters, which is the belief of a party being able to actually deliver its promise. The reason apparently, like this polling uh, posits, that no one mm -hmm. supports the Liberals at the moment, really, is that no one thinks the Liberals can win, um, which was really interesting to me because it kind of ponders mm -hmm. the question, is the Victorian Liberal Party a party of government now? When uh, you consider uh, it. Look, that, yeah, that is, uh, that's, that's an interesting little twist. In, in some ways, it's, you know, well, you, you, you can't do anything unless you, you have won, but... Uh, well, just when you, you you said that, that did that was an interesting way to that was an interesting way to frame it. I mean, there's there's certainly uh, visually and visually matters a lot for persuasion. There is mm -hmm. a, a lot of work. There's a lot of signage. There's a lot of infrastructure up there that either directly, overtly, or subconsciously is attributed to the the Andrews government. And and whilst I have my opinion on the costs of things, I do look at and I think I can see uh, tangible projects in progress and having been completed 
and that's a, a little tick in my in my mind. Uh, look, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd have to, I would have to chew on that. Is liberal liberal government? So, so, phrase that again. Say that last sentence again because that is was interesting. The Victorian Liberal Party, a party of government. Because that's often like a criticism that's leveled at the Greens. Like, oh, we like your ideals and everything, but you'll never win government. So, like, we won't vote for you. Um, and I just thought it was quite interesting to kind of ponder that. Look, it is interesting. And this is, uh, I, I had a note down for for our guest to rise, but it actually applies uh, more now. Uh, I caught up, uh, caught up for a dinner during the week with a, a mate of mine, and he you know, he tends to uh, lean towards the, the liberal side. However, he said, he looked at me and he, well, we're using my name, but let's, let's insert Ardit there. He said, Ardit, I hate to say it, but I think I'm going to be voting Labor this year because what I assess is the threat from the Greens in particular and other independents getting the balance of power much as I'd like to vote for the, the Liberals, I think I'm going to have to give my votes to the Greens. Now, he's in the city of Yarra, and whilst um, local local government isn't state government, uh, it certainly influences people's perception. And as you would know, well know, there's there's a slightly left-leaning uh, <laughs> environment in the, in the city of Yarra. But I found that was very interesting. And all the time I've known him, uh, I don't think he's ever voted Labor, and I thought there was interesting reasoning that he's going to go there as a way of getting out the Greens, and it plays into the point that you just said. He's not going to be giving it to Guy because he said, yeah, the Libs are just hopeless. Mm -hmm. That is really interesting. Now... I'm kind of curious to get your opinion. What would you say are like the three main issues for Victorians in this election, would you say? Look, I think the three main issues are, I think health is a, a big issue. I think energy, even though you can argue that maybe it's, um, uh, maybe it's uh, yeah, a little bit more federal, but yeah, th the way that things are, you know the way that things join each each other. There is a, a large state component. Uh, I don't tend to think that for a lot of Victorians that the the, the lockdowns are going to be uh, much of an issue. Uh, uh, going to be much of an issue, much as they would be for for me. I would probably say that because it has become part of the consciousness now, infrastructure is is probably going to be a, a main issue. So I'm I'm saying health energy and infrastructure uh what, what about you you ha you tend to do a lot more uh contact with with regular people on the ground yeah i the main issue that i would really flag for victorians is cost of living um you know everyone's feeling the pinch and they kind of really want to know what solutions parties are offering them uh yeah. beyond that i would say you know, I would probably agree with health and infrastructure spends. And Daniel Andrews himself is quite strong on infrastructure. You know, people do trust the Labor government, uh, mainly, I'd say, due to the uh, level crossing removing, removal project. Mm. Um, I do wonder, though, if that's becoming kind of a one-trick pony, 
because you know like there was another announcement um i think two weeks ago where they were like and we're gonna get rid of more level crossings which is great i hate near level crossing but yeah i don't know i'm i just sort of want a bit more i find so yeah yeah look i i i think i think that's a fair comment uh we it's it's probably more of a an indictment and on on us as uh you know five five minute type of attention spans as a as a generalization it's like okay well the 11 level crossings is happening um the level crossings that have have happened right what's next always that sort of that mentality of what's next what's next so uh, okay look i i viewed it a different way i I thought it was a a good badge but i can i can see that argument yeah so hmm. and look i you said cost of living and really that's probably something that I, i i should have uh had up there as soon as you said it, I thought that was an obvious one to to move, and I th- I think Australia wide that's going to be an an, an issue, uh, and whether you're blaming federal or state or a combination of of all, people are certainly going to be uh, certainly going to be voting with that, particularly particularly in light of uh, some of the the decisions that were made in the budget about uh, you know welfare payments, but then keeping in tax cuts, uh, the lines between federal and state in my opinion seem to become blurred to the point that it's for many a team sport Mm, i I would probably agree with that um i do want to talk briefly about daniel andrews himself because he is I, i would say it's fair to say that he is a bit of a polarizing figure now you either really like him or you really dislike him in general um, at least that's the discourse I see. Personally, I'm a bit yep. meh on him. I think he's a very shrewd political operator. Um, but I guess, I guess I just wanted to get your thoughts on Daniel Andrews, the man. Oh, I'd, 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 definitely, I'd definitely say he's good at his job. I definitely agree on your assessment as, uh, as, as shrewd. Look, as, as, as Andrews, the man, I, I, I per- and we're we're talking, you know, we're talking, a, a, we're talking actual feelings and things. I don't find him particularly palatable. I don't like his uh, his, his style. I don't personally feel he's uh, trustworthy, and he's not the only politician. I'm, I don't. He's not the only politician which I feel about that way. I do think he's probably got. Uh, there's part of me that looks at him and thinks he does seem to have a genuine belief in some of his ideology. However, I feel like he's first and foremost a, a self-interested political um, political person, and as a personality, he he really leaves me he really leaves me a bit a bit cold. I mean, guy Matthew Guy leaves me even colder. But uh, Andrews, I respect his work ethic. I think he is very good at his job. I just don't like the job that he's good at. You sort of touched on my next point there, which was you know you said don't really trust him, but I was going to say, do you trust him more than Matthew Guy? I refuse to call him <laughs> Matt Guy, no matter how much he tries to rebrand himself. <laughs> oh, 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 do, do I trust him? God, do I trust him more than Matthew Guy? Bloody hell. That's just give me a moment because that's an 
Oh, oh God, that's a horrible question. <laughs> Do I trust <laughs> Daniel Andrews more than Matthew Guy? Oh, my God. Um, uh, pr- probably, probably a, a little bit more. Oh God, that's yeah, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good question. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, um, that's low down on the scale. He's he probably is just a little bit above. <laughs> what about you? Let me turn it around on you. Yeah, personally, I would say yes. It would be pretty easy. Yes, for me, Matthew Guy is a very slimy politician who, in my opinion, probably should have retired after 2018, and seems to be a relic at this stage. Um, hopefully, he leaves after this election. Um, well, I, I tell you what, if he does, if he does win, we won't be uh, he won't be leaving after this election. Hey, we'll just, oh, just you never know about the deals in the Liberal Party; they might kick him out again. Well, you, you don't. We'll just say a, a quick hello to a couple of people who had uh, put some comments in earlier where just as, as a bit of a behind-the-scenes thing, we, we tried uh, scheduling this talk a little bit earlier just to use a new feature from Reddit. But just wanted to say g'day to Isisius, uh, who had said, <laughs> apropos of what we're saying, okay, so do people love or hate Dan Andrews at this point it seems like he has people feeling very strongly one way or the other uh we've got a suggestion here from easy evie to say to make sure that the chat to make the chat spooky lots of lightning effects and pumpkin and stuff and m benner one uh who says they don't like dan andrews but he's so much better than anything the other side has uh so yeah just wanted to acknowledge them before we move on further in the program Thank you very much. At uh, this stage, I might invite our guest to the stage. There we go. So they should have gotten a notification now. Let's see. Ben, g'day, everyone. Uh, this is Ben Rowie, who runs the Tally Room website. Ben, would you like to give yourself a little introduction? Oh, you're muted. Hello. Uh, this is Ben Rowie from the Tally Room. G'day, how are you? G'day, Ben. Uh, yeah, hello. How's it going? Yeah, going well. How's your week been? Uh, busy, busy. Um, <laughs> my uh, my kid's been homesick a couple of days from from daycare, so uh, that's been an extra yeah. thing on top. But um, just this last couple of days, really getting rolling with the Vic election. So I've got about uh, three scheduled blog posts ready to go up and all the data worked out for a couple more. So it's all kind of getting into the flow now. It's kind of a good, a good time of the campaign. Ah, excellent. Hey, and just up front, plug your, plug your, uh, your, your website for, for people where those, uh, posts are going to appear. Yeah, sure. So I run a website called The Tally Room, tallyroom.com.au, and there's a podcast with that as well. So it's a website about Australian elections, um, the uh it includes guides to elections and actually um those guides are usually behind a paywall for patreon donors but uh just last night actually i unlocked my victorian guide and possibly while this call is going on i've got a scheduled blog post that's going to go up and tell the rest of the world about that but people on this call can know that now that the um victorian guide all of the paywalls have been taken down for the last month of the campaign and uh there's a podcast as well where um we talk about elections and the last couple of episodes have been 
pretty they've been about Papua New Guinea and uh, the Tasmanian Council elections, but uh, we're about to start a series of episodes about Victoria starting uh, in about eight days from now. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the core stuff I do, but um, there's going to be a Excellent. bunch of analysis of the Victorian election coming up over the next few weeks. Oh, fantastic. So before we kind of jump into like the more nitty-gritty kind of things, I guess I really just wanted to get your opinion on the current standing of the major parties in Victoria. Um, I believe the writs for the actual election are going to be issued next Tuesday. So mm. how do you think they've been going during this unofficial campaign period, Ben? Oh, look, um, I think Labor is in a stronger position. Uh, we don't get a lot of state polling, but the state polling we have had has Labor with a quite a large two-party preferred lead. Um, it's interesting what you say about Andrews because I, I do think he's a very polarising figure and people who don't like him really don't like him. But I think there's also a lot of people who are happy with him. He still tops the preferred Premier ratings. We haven't had any polls that give satisfaction ratings this year, but when we were having them, he had significantly more people saying the last ones were kind of late 2021, but um, a lot more people were saying they were satisfied with him than dissatisfied. So I don't think, I think maybe some people in the Liberal Party have talked themselves into thinking he's more of an unpopular figure than he is. Um, but, you know, he's not a universally loved person. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think Labor's in a relatively strong position to hold on. Uh, whether they do that with a reduced majority or maybe even an increased majority, it's a bit it's a bit hard to say because we don't have the level of detail uh, or consistent polling to kind of make those predictions. Hmm. And how would you say Matthew Guy's going at the moment? Oh, look, I haven't been paying too much attention to his campaigning. Um, I think he's in a bit of a tough position because I, I do think the Victorian Party isn't really well positioned for the political environment in Victoria. Um, but, uh, oh, look, I, I don't think he's going to win the election. Um, and I think they have a lot of work to do before they're in a position to do better with people. Although, you know, you're always surprised about these things, how, how, how quickly a party can turn it around, particularly if a government becomes unpopular. You know, New South Wales, for a long time, the coalition was seen as completely unelectable, but eventually Labor kind of lost the plot and um, Victorian Labor does have its issues. It's had issues over time. Maybe those issues will get worse. And, um, you know, if they win this election, by the time of the next election, they'll, be, they'll have been in power for 12 years. Maybe Andrews mm. will have moved on, second-generation Premier. Uh people eventually start to get sick of them and the opposition starts to look a bit better. And I think that that will still happen in Victoria. You made a, it was an interesting turn of phrase that you used that the uh, Liberal Party is not well positioned for the political environment in Victoria. Can you just flesh that out a bit more? Yeah. I mean, Victorians are reasonably progressive. Um, I think uh, and the Victorian Liberal Party in particular is a pretty conservative institution. Um, you know, you compare it to the Liberal Party in New South Wales, it's able to position itself much more as a moderate party that um, I think will protect it when it comes to the state election. They could still lose, but um, it does definitely positions them a bit better. But, you know, Victoria is a state that uh, leans very much to the left in federal elections too. 
that didn't used to be the case, but that's how the historical trend has gone. Is that it's the of the three big states in Australia, it's very much the clearly the most progressive of those states. Not sure that's always reflected in the way that Labor governments operate, but it's certainly in terms of the way voters behave. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see in this in sort of a replica of what we saw in the federal election. Although I don't think it'll be the same. The federal Liberals had problems in their inner city heartland, the kind of more progressive, uh, wealthier, but it's more high income than high wealth, actually. High income electorates in the inner city. uh, And they kind of talked themselves into, well, we'll find those votes somewhere else. And they didn't. Um, And you're hearing a lot of that in Victorian state politics too. Whether those seats are under threat to independence. They, they might be, but also, you know, Labor won Hawthorne in 2018. They almost won uh, Sandringham and Brighton, a lot of these places. So it could be a threat from independence or it could be a threat from Labor, um, but that they're, they're facing that dilemma that that inner city block that has always been their base, it's their heartland, it's where they kind of get their leaders from and um, it's, this, it's the core that they then build on uh, is sort of out of touch with the rest of their base. And um, do they change direction to adjust for that? Or do they go, well, we'll find those seats somewhere else. So far, the message has been, you know, Tim Smith saying we should forget about the inner cities. Um, They clearly are trying to position themselves in places like Melton, the outer suburbs. Um, There may have be some success with that, but I don't think it will be enough to make up for the losses. Mm, yeah, I would probably concur. Um, I did want to ask you, how do you think the Greens are positioned for the state election? I think it's probably an open secret that 2018 wasn't the best year for them. Mm. So kind of in terms of comparing it to now, how do you think they're going? They seem to be doing a little bit better. It's a bit hard to say with polling for the Greens because some pollsters overestimate them, but it does seem like maybe they're in a bit of a stronger position than they were in 2018. Uh, It seems like they're pretty solid in Melbourne and Brunswick, which are the straight Labor versus Greens battles, um, where the Liberals come a distant third. And, you know, if the Liberals preference the Greens, they would easily win, but they're winning despite not getting Liberal preferences. Uh, And it sounds like maybe they're competitive in a place like Richmond um, as well. That's one worth watching that they could win. Um, Pran is going to be really interesting, actually. I've, I've, I've got some thoughts about a blog post I'm going to be doing probably the week after the one that's coming about Pran specifically because the way that the Greens have won there, which is also the way they won in Griffith and Ryan and um, Brisbane and Ballina and lots of seats they've won this way, the Liberals come in, the, or the Nationals come in the top two and Labor drops into third. So the Greens win easily on Labor preferences. That's how they went. Pran last time in 2014 it was kind of they narrowly beat Labor and then with Labor preferences they narrowly beat the Liberals but Pran has moved to the left and it's been redistributed such that it's becoming more of a seat where the question is does Labor or the Greens win the Liberals are no longer really in it and if the Liberals drop into third their preferences might elect Labor so the Greens vote could go up but if their vote goes up and the Liberal vote crashes then it becomes like those inner city races. It becomes Labor versus Greens. Um, and they could actually lose a seat in that case unless their vote goes up significantly, which could also happen. So that's that's one um, I'm really interested in watching. Upper house for them. Um, the system really 
makes things hard for them. But if their vote goes up high enough, they'll start to get a vote high enough that the preferences won't matter and they'll win seats anyway. But 2018 was hard for them because that block of minor parties that preference each other had grown big enough um, that they were able to like lock the Greens out. You know, they got 9% of the vote. They got three times as many votes as the Darren Hinch party and they got a third as many MPs in the upper house. It was a, it was a very, very disproportionate result. Mm. Thank you very much for that. Um, <laughs> the federal election, I think it would also be fair to say, was sort of dominated by Teals, uh, you know, particularly with the win of Monique Ryan. Um, are you seeing any kind of Teal wave in the Victorian state election? Um, I know... I believe Zoe Daniel herself has fairly distanced, like, you know, her campaign and her office from the state election. So yeah. I kind of just want to get your thoughts on that. So I think there's two different things going on. One is the teals as a description of a particular kind of flavour of independent, uh, and that kind of flavour has existed for a long time. Um, and that definitely is happening. There's a lot of candidates who are kind of branding themselves that way, similar style. Most of them tend to be women, um, they tend to be running in those high income, relatively close to the city seats, although there's some others as well. Um, they're definitely popping up. There's a lot of those people running. Uh, and it's not surprising that, you know, the voters and people who might have volunteered for those MPs who got elected got a taste for things and they like the look of it. As an organised force, though, I don't think it's like the federal election. I think that was kind of a unique experience we haven't seen before. And I don't know if we'll see again. There was... Uh, coordinate like a kind of financial coordination from a groups like Climate 200 who ensured money flowed. I don't think that's happening at the state election. And there was also a kind of a, I mean, these independents who got elected, a bunch of them had never met each other until they were sitting in parliament. So mm. I don't want to overemphasize the organizational element, but it was seen as a kind of a homogenous wave, you know, more in Sydney that like there were five contiguous seats if you ignore the Sydney Harbour, which, um, Independence won four of them. And you look at the trends and it really looks like the voting, the swings look like people voting for a party, you know, like it doesn't, there's no big sudden drop offs at an electorate boundary that would suggest people are, were differentiating between the different independents. Um, they were just voting for the independent ticket kind of. Um, I don't think that'll happen, but independents have, have always popped up and done well. Uh, Victoria's never, Sydney has a long history of electing, urban independence in Liberal Party areas. Melbourne doesn't, but there's no reason it couldn't start now. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if someone gets elected, but I think people shouldn't be thinking of it in the way of being like an organised teal force in the way that mm -hmm. kind of emerged a little bit mm. in the federal election. I think that was kind of unique and unusual, may not even happen again at the next election. Um, but, you know, it's a good time for independence. Yeah, look, mm. you, also touched, you also touched on two in that um, comment. Thank you. For that, uh, about uh, about women candidates, uh, you heard in, in fact from your your blog uh, that you had said uh, this list already includes thirty five more women than in two thousand and eighteen. Uh, mm. You said Greens have nominated fifty one percent women, Labor fifty eight, Animal Justice a whopping seventy nine percent. I was just wondering if you had any in, any opinion on the increase of women, mm. whether it could be a successful play for the parties. And uh, in your experience, is there any indication that women get more or less votes from men and women collectively and individually? Mm. Mm. 
That's interesting. Um, so the first thing I would say is there's no evidence that conservative parties are more likely to be nominating women this time. The coalition is running about as many women as they did last time. Labor and the Greens are running more women. Um, for Labor, I can't really say right now if those women are running in places, you know, they could run a bunch of women in seats they're never going to win and it makes their numbers look good without really having an impact. But I did do some calculate, a very simple calculation of like, if you assume any seat with a 5% or more margin is held by that party and you assume any seat with less than 5% could go either way, I found that there were even numbers of men and women getting elected to the lower house and 14 seats that could go either way. Um, so that suggests there's a chance we could have a lower house that is majority women, depending on how some individual seats flip. Um, right. So that that's interesting. And we've seen that happening more, and particularly in upper houses, but that's happening. Um, the reason there's a majority across the whole state, every candidate who I've found so far, um, a majority of them are women. A big part of the reason for that is that there are so many animal justice candidates running. There are not an equivalent large minor party on the right that's running anywhere near as many. Like the animal justice and Victorian socialists between them are running 88 candidates. The Freedom Party is running 21. The Lib Dems are running seven. Although I did see a comment on my blog from someone because I put up this blog post this morning saying, here's 20 more candidates I found on Facebook. So there'll be more people who come along. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bunch of low-profile male independents and right-wing minor parties who just nominated at the last minute. No one hears their name until the day the nominations close. Um, but right now, that's the reason that's happening. But it is still interesting that these trends are happening. The um, There is, like we saw in the federal election, there is a big change in the type of person running as an independent particularly. There are a lot used to be that um, most independents were men. At the federal election, there were a lot more women independents, although a lot of, um, I would say a lot of the women independents were more high profile and had more organized campaigns. So we found out about them sooner. So there was a lot of low profile male independents who announced at the last minute. But right now, a majority of the independents running in Victoria are women as well. So um, I think part of it is on the left in particular. Um, at the very least, most of the forces on the left are achieving parity and quite often they're dominated by women in terms of who they run. Uh, on the right, not so much. So it kind of depends on, you know, uh, there's a lot more women in federal parliament now because Labor won the election and Labor ran a lot more women than men. As for who votes which way, I don't know about the, the gender split, although there is, a, there is a gender divide. Traditionally, there was a bit of a gender divide that the conservatives did better amongst women than men. Um, and that's changed and that got very dramatic around um, Gillard and Abbott in 2013, 2010, uh, that Abbott had a big gender divide in favour with men and Gillard with women. Um, but that wasn't traditionally how things split. Um, but there is a lot of evidence that if parties nominate women, they do really well. Uh, that's... The issue, the reason we don't have more women in parliament is not that voters won't vote for them. It's that parties don't choose them. And, you know, mm, right. for, as far as that, that's that's a it's a different stage in the process. But, like, it could be a deliberate choice. It could just be that those women, are you know, have family responsibilities that make it harder for them to participate internally in the party. I don't know. There's lots of theories about why that would be. Um, one of the things I noticed in previous elections, this is more of a federal thing, but I'm sure it would apply in Victoria too. Labor was doing a better job of running for seats where they didn't have an incumbent. Cause I figured where you have an incumbent, they tended to be men until quite recently because 
in the past parliament was all men and so incumbent seats with incumbents were always lagging but if you look at seats that were open labor was running about as many men as women in both safe and marginal seats so they were running lots of women any time a seat opened up there was a good chance they would nominate a woman which is you've seen now that over a 10 20 year period the number of women in parliament in the labor party has shot up because it's a gradual <laughs> process that as people retire um there's a good chance that man gets replaced by a woman um in the Liberal Party, though, they were just as likely to run a woman as a man in a marginal seat, but in a safe seat, they were much more likely to run a man. And so I think that does show that they know that actually often women can actually be more electorally popular with voters. You know, voters can be more likely to vote for a woman. Um, and so in a marginal Ooh. seat where that really matters, I mean, John Howard was famous for a string of outer suburban marginals that he'd won with women candidates. Um, none of them really had particularly notable ministerial careers or success in parliament, but they were kind of crucial for his majorities in parliament. Um, so I think that does show there's a lot of evidence that, you know, if you put them head to head, people are actually sometimes a lot more willing to vote for a woman than a man. Um, but getting to that part point in the political process um, is where the kind of misogyny kicks in. But, you know, we're making a lot of progress. There's a lot more women in parliament now than there was 10 years, 20 years ago. I did a lot of analysis on local council elections in New South Wales in December. And there's uh, like a dozen councils in Sydney now, which are majority women. Um, the number of women oh. on local councils in New South Wales, well, it didn't just go up, but it accelerated um, to the point where I think it's like about 40% of councillors in New South Wales now are women. And I think the same sort of phenomenons are happening around the country. Not always at exactly the same rate, but more and more women are getting elected. And I, I do think there would have been a bit of a thing with the teal wave last year that it doesn't necessarily change how people vote, but it changes the motivations of people who are thinking about running for politics, right? You're more likely mm -hmm. to nominate if you think you're going to be successful, if you see people like you, it makes a difference. And we see that in all of these women independents running in Melbourne now. Um, you know, most of them probably won't win. But if one or two of them win, then that, you know, maybe that person might not have run if it wasn't for the women who got elected in May. Yeah. yeah. Before we wrap up, Ben, um, I just want to ask you about the Frankston line. Um, so in 2018, a lot was said about the Frankston line and how the ALP would have to win all the seats there, you know, Frankston, Karen, Morty, Alec, um, to retain government. That was kind of seen as the battleground. Do you think that's the case now or is there different battlegrounds around the state? Mm, well, historical trends over time in the short term, it often looks like the same seats are always the marginal crucial seats. But if you look at a longer time frame, they change. Some seats are marginal for a while and then political issues change or demographics change and those seats shift and become safer. And, you know, Frankston now has a 10% margin. Morty Alec, 13% margin. And Karam is somewhere similar, 12%. Um, they are not the seats that are the top of the priority list anymore. They were, I remember visiting Victoria in 2006 and 2014, and they were considered crucial swing seats. Um, they are not anymore. Um, there's a cool feature on my seat guides if people are interested in looking, and now they're unlocked so that everyone can see them, where I um, chart out the last 30 years of the two-party preferred vote in a seat, and I have the seats 2PP and the Victorian state 2PP. Morty Alec and I'm just loading up Karam here, 
uh, Karam show the same pattern that they they the two numbers are very close together until 2018 and they swing hard to labor. Now, maybe that's a short term thing and they revert to type in 2022. That's feasible that, you know, they had more voters swinging and that kind of means it's plausible that there could be more voters swinging back the other way than another seat that might look more marginal. But um, I think Labor might have gained a bit of an edge in those seats. You know, they're not, it's it's kind of the reverse if you think about in a federal election like central Queensland electorates where, you know, Kevin Rudd won them all in 2007, but they've all kind of ended up not just voting coalition, but voting LNP quite strongly. And Labor, Labor did a little bit better in those in 2022, but they didn't win any of them. Um, and you know, they were crucial to Kevin Rudd winning power and they were not crucial to Anthony Albanese winning power. And I I think there might be something similar going on on the Frankston line. But we'll have to see. You know, one election's not a trend. Maybe it was mm. just there was a big spike in Labor support because of the changes. They I know that they were doing a lot of stuff around the level crossings and that kind of thing um, in 2018. And maybe that's faded now and people, people don't stay grateful for very long, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us this morning, Ben. I really appreciate you taking that time. Thank you. Yeah, that was that was great. Really appreciate it. And I have to say, I'm, I'm impressed when uh, we've spoken to people like you. Just how much instant and comprehensive access to not just current but past elections you have in your head it uh, it, it blows me away a little bit. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thanks, Bye. Ben. Oh, that was fantastic, personally. Um, oh, that's great. I loved I loved hearing that. And I just like when he was when he was talking about the uh you know the, the previous not the just the previous, but the election before that and then what Howard had here and had that, I'm thinking, wow, I'm I'm impressed when I sort of remember a few things about this one, let alone actual percentages and and look, I know it's his area of, of interest. However, I, I it's presented so uh, so naturally and confidently. It's 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 really interesting to hear. It's a, it's captivating to hear somebody who's passionate and they know this stuff. Indeed. Before we wrap up for the day, RD, I just want to ask you: What seats are you going to be focusing on during the election? Uh, well, I'm going to have a, a, a focus, obviously, on my my own uh, seat, which is which is Hastings down here on the the Morning Peninsula purely from um from from self-interest uh i will be curious because of uh their nature to ha to see how uh richmond hawthorne and melton go my understanding is that uh and ben did touch on it as as well that there's a uh you know, sort of a, a strong sort of progressive bent there and potential there so that to me those three are going to be a little bit of a a bellwether for, for me because I my personal expectations is uh, that the Greens are going to do better uh, this election than a, a lot of people expect and I think in the legislative council uh, I expect to see a large amount of success from um, the independents as as well 
and, and actually, I, I'll, I'll get your opinion on that, but I do want to ask you one other question about the United Australia Party, which I think you'll be able to clear up for me. So yeah, my own seat of Hastings, uh, Richmond, Hawthorne and Melton, they're the ones that will be particularly on my radar. What, what are you going to be circling? Personally, I will be circling essentially any current green seat, um, as well as Northcote, Richmond, Albert Park. Um, I'm actually really interested in Pascavale. Uh, let me double check oh. if it is Pascavale. I'm 98% sure it is. Yeah, it is. So the thing about that is in the 2018 election, the Greens only recorded something like 13% of the result there. Right. Um, it's seen as a more traditional, you know, out of suburban working area. But in the last four years, it's had a lot of population growth and it's been redistribu redistributed further south, taking some of the strongest green areas of Brunswick. Right. And so on the redistribution, the Greens are actually in second place now um, as a green labour contest, going from like 13% of the vote to like 20-something. Um, like like low twenties, with the Liberals falling down to like thirteen percent. Um, so it's it's on, it's on nobody's radar, and I doubt the Greens will win it purely just because Labor's quite strong there. But I think we will definitely make the two party preferred, and it's going to be one of the more interesting contests on the night. Um, ah, well, you, you, we we like to make a few uh, predictions on here, so I've noted that down. We'll we'll keep an eye <laughs> on that. Yeah, oh, that's I'm interesting. also going to be paying attention to Point Cook um, because Joe Garra, um, who was an independent who ran in 2018 for the seat of Werribee, uh, did fairly well, almost knocking off Tim Pallas. Now, with a redistribution, it seems he's been placed in the Point Cook electorate. I don't know if his brand is as strong there, but Gara kind of um, epitomises those West not teal independents for me. Mm. And so basically I'll be using, using his campaign as a bit of a measuring stick for how they're going. Well, it, it, it promises to be interesting. You know, despite uh, some of the assumptions we're probably making, uh, won't be the first election that we potentially get caught uh, by surprise. Hey, look, my, my question on the United Australia uh, party was that uh, we've got uh, yeah, yeah, Ralph, the United Party uh, Australia Party, and I, I noticed it on on Ben's website. Uh, have got um, where are we? They've got candidates in all the all the eight regions for the the, the legislative council, uh, as well as a couple of other parties, but United Australia as well. Uh, Ralph Babbitt had said in his uh, September 11th press release, because I am a senator, the party has a right to re-register at any time, and in the meantime, we will not be directed by an unelected body of public service servants under the control of government. The thing I want you to clarify for me that I think other people might also find a bit confusing is the United Australia Party was deregistered but that was federally, but Babbitt's saying we can still do it here for Victoria and, and is also implying that there might be some issue, something that when it comes to a federal election, they'll be able to re-register again. But I seem to recall you saying to me in the past that once you de-register, you can't re-register re the next election for the name. I found it a bit confusing. 
I think it's probably something you understand. So can you explain it to me and, and others? So here's the problem, really, and that is Ralph Babbitt is an idiot. Um, (laughs) 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 In terms of party registrations, uh, it's separate at federal and state level. You must register at federal and state. Um, The UAP is not registered at the federal level. They voluntarily deregistered, I believe. Um, because when you are registered as a party at the federal level, that comes with certain responsibilities that you actually have to do, like provide a constitution and things like that. It's so much hassle for having only one MP elected, so he's not bothering. His plan is to then, so voluntarily deregister, but then re-register before the next federal election. that probably will not work because you can't re-register a similar name to, like, an existing party. While the UAP will have been deregistered, um, it's quite difficult. You can't even have the same word. Like, um, I believe the United Seniors Party had to change their name because United Australia Party was already registered. If someone registers another party, then they absolutely will not be able to get re-registration. There's also a part where it's you can't uh, name yourself after, like, a deregistered party if the name's too similar or something like that. I can't get the exact details for you, but they'll likely run into problems. And just to touch on the UAP running in Victoria, they're not really trying it seems uh, they're only running upper house candidates, they're not running any lower house candidates, and their party leader at the state level is running in North Victoria because, to quote him, it's the biggest region. So, hmm. yeah, they don't seem to be putting in too much effort there. Babbitt's an idiot. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, that's that's where we are with the UAP. Okay, all right. Well, that gives me that gives me a bit more a bit more context for that, particularly the separation between the the state and the the federal. And it implicit in what you were saying, I know you said you've got to find more details, is uh, because the UAP has deregistered. It, it essentially hasn't finished its cycle. So to try and register the name again. Uh, the AES, Australian Electoral Commission could justifiably say, listen, that's not completely out of the, the cycle. You can't use that name, come up with another one. It's not even that the AEC could justifiably say that. It's that they might legally be required to say, no, we're sorry, we know you were the, the exact same person, but legally uh, we have to say this. So. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well... On that note, unless there's any other comments you'd like to read out, Ardine, I think we might wrap up for the day. No, we've I've, I've put a link up to uh, to Ben's uh, Ben's site, uh, so that's I wanted to make sure that that got up. Uh, but let's just finish off. What are you up to today and for the rest of the week? Uh, I am cleaning my house because it is way too messy, and I'm starting hmm. to hate looking at it. And then after that, I'm going to my sister's birthday party. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing today. And then more volunteering stuff throughout the week. You? Ah, 
Excellent. Yeah, look, today I'm going to take the opportunity to, to jump on the ride on mower and get rid of this grass that just is is going insane in this rain. It's it's loving it. I I mowed it in the break that I had the other other week and looked at looked at uh, the other day and I thought it's it's even longer than what it was. So yeah, with this this little bit of a, a break we've got in the the rain, it's going to be me on the mower listening to uh, listening to podcasts. Sounds good. All right. You guys have a great day. Thanks, Apricot.